somebody asked me, why is it called good? Uh, and that is a longer explanation than I have the capacity to give you. Uh, it involves German words, you know how long those can be, so this could take forever. Uh, actually though, it, 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 it comes out of a long process of people talking about this as God's Friday. And so it goes from being Goat's Friday to Goot's Friday. And so it's an anomaly. Uh, it's really not Good Friday. It's the Friday that God did something incredibly decisive. And so we're going to mark those, uh, those words that tell us how decisive that was in, uh, in music and in, and, uh, and in word. Uh, words prayed, words, words spoken. Uh, we're going to have a great worship service. i tell you why. Because the Lord is with us. Where two or three are gathered together in his name, he is there among his people. And so uh, Jonathan and the team are here to lead us in, in worship, uh, praise of God, to, to play music that will allow us to reflect on his presence here in this night, what it means. Uh, hopefully those who pray and those who speak uh, are going to help focus you on the Lord, uh, not on the rest of us here. And ultimately, because we're here together, we share this as a very important time of being the family of God together. But each of us individually uh, get to, in a sense, uh, express to him what's on our hearts and our minds, uh, to invite uh, him to, 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 to touch us, to speak to us, uh, to perhaps heal us in parts of our lives that, that only he, through his atoning sacrifice on the cross, can accomplish. Uh, later, Ryan is going to come up and talk about the stations around the room that allow you then uh, following music and word and prayer while music is still being played to then uh, have communion or to take some time to meditate on, on what this means. So we've, we've created an evening that is multi-sensory uh, that would allow you to be part of something that all of us can share together and at the same time have your own experience of worship uh, with the Lord. So Lord Jesus, uh, we do commit this evening to you, recognizing your holy presence here. Uh, recognizing that you've called us together to be and to and to become a holy people uh, we, we thank you that your holy spirit makes all this possible and your word guides us in understanding what it means in the deepest possible way so we pray this uh, in jesus's name amen well, good evening if you're able please stand with us as we worship
haven't done it already this week, uh, either tonight or tomorrow, before Sunday, read through the, the accounts of Jesus' uh, last week, including his crucifixion. It might take you about two hours uh, to read it through because you'll stop and you'll think about it. But I tell you, if you do that, what we do tonight will, will be confirmed and, 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 uh, and highlighted in your heart and your mind, and also Easter will make a lot more sense to you. Uh, one, of the, one of the tragedies, so to speak, in our culture is that we, we jump from Palm Sunday to Easter. Uh, and uh, with our baskets in hand, we, we reflect briefly on Easter. And, and part of what we've done also in our culture is uh, we have stepped back from the, from the gruesome nature of, 
of this night, what it represents, uh, and uh, and the, the discomfort that it causes us to feel. And uh, and so we're not going to actually go full gore uh, today or, or on Sunday, of course, we're, but we want to give enough time to, to think about what this means. Uh, we're not just talking about the, the pain or the sacrifice of what Jesus endured. We're talking about what it means, why God himself would do what he did. Uh, this has been called the scandal of the cross. The scandal wasn't just the violence done to Jesus. That was certainly part of it. The scandal is that God would allow himself uh, to be treated that way. Why would God do what he did? And that's the big question that hangs over this night and that we resolve, hopefully, uh, on, on Easter Sunday. But so tonight as we reflect on Jesus' crucifixion in the last hours of his life, uh, specifically uh, from Friday noon to 3 o'clock, uh, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. Uh, we want to use the seven last phrases that Jesus spoke. They're often called the seven last words. It's more poetic to say the seven last words of Christ. But they really aren't words as much as they're seven phrases. And what we'll do uh, is I want to give you a setup, a ramp up to the main events that set us up for Jesus' crucifixion. So briefly, I'm going to walk through those many, many events as you read through the last week of Jesus' life from Palm Sunday on, going in and out of Jerusalem and all the various events, uh, disrupting the temple uh, by turning over the, 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 um, the merchants, uh, going in and out of the city. Uh, there's nine things that are big, big moments that I'm going to briefly touch on. You'll get to read more about them uh, if you take the time to do that. Um, so I want to start by reviewing those major events leading up to Jesus' crucifixion and death. And then we're going to read each of those phrases. I'll make a few comments on them. And then we're going to have uh, somebody pray for us related to those verses. So that's where we're going to go uh, before we disperse to the stations. Uh, so first of all, first of all, Jesus is anointed in Bethany, the, 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 the small town uh, just before you get to the Mount of Olives, which is just before you get to see the city of Jerusalem where you walk down from the Mount of Olives uh, across a stream, the Kidron Stream, and into the city of Jerusalem. But Bethany was strategic because a family lived there, uh, a family uh, whose, whose patriarch uh, was Simon. He's known as Simon the Lover. Uh, he probably at this point should be called Simon the Former Lover. Uh, he had been healed by Jesus of his leprosy. He had two daughters and a son, the two uh, daughters you know, Mary and Martha, and you know the son, Lazarus. And so Jesus is anointed by Mary in that home with some very, very costly perfume. A side note from one of the, the Gospels tells us that uh, uh, all the Gospels uh, would, would comment uh, on, on uh, the cost of the perfume. But in one of the Gospels, uh, it's pointed out that it was Judas who commented on the cost of the perfume. And it was Judas who kept the, the, the purse, so to speak, the, the community funds for Jesus and the disciples. So this is sort of a big high drama moment. That's why it's one of the, the moments I want to mention. That Jesus is anointed by Mary, which, is, which basically foreshadows Jesus' death and burial because that costly perfume was an anointing for his burial. She didn't announce it that way. It wasn't presented that way. But now, in hindsight, we can see the full picture. We see that that was foreshadowing of what was to come. What's also interesting, because of that dynamic of, Ju of, of Judas there, complaining about the cost of this, is that immediately following this meal, we come to the second big event, and that's when Judas went and sought out the authorities and did a deal and agreed to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So it says that Judas left that gathering, went to the chief priests, 
and arranged to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He would later betray Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, have remorse, take his own life. Uh, it was a horrible situation. Uh, so those are the first two events. The third event, of course, is the preparation uh, of uh, the Passover meal that they would share together. We call this the Last Supper. And it's at this final meal that Jesus prepares his disciples for what is to come. Uh, this is the occasion we know as Maundy Thursday. How many of you did a Maundy Thursday dinner, participated in one last night? A number of you did. A powerful thing to do, to have dinner with some friends, family, and read through uh, those passages in Luke and John and reflect on the fact that in this incredible dinner with so much hanging in the balance, the anxiety that was to come, Jesus knowing for sure what was to come, his disciples starting to get a clue. He says, uh, he talks about love. Uh, he, he talks about servant leadership, washing their feet, just as I've done to you, so you do likewise. But then he makes the big moment, the big heartbeat of that night about love, uh, loving uh, others, loving one another as he has loved them. Uh, so that, that was all captured in that Passover meal. Following the Passover meal, uh, they leave the city of Jerusalem and walk to the base of the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is a ridge, uh, literally covered with olives, now it's covered with buildings and olives. At the base of it, there's a place called Gethsemane. Uh, Gethsemane means olive press. So that's why the, all the olives were there, so they had these big stones, and they, 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 there's various ways of doing it, but the traditional way of doing it is you have these these layers of olives and a mat put over a layer, another row of olives, a layer of olives, another mat. And this massive stone is turned so that it's literally screwed down on top of that and the, and the olive oil runs out. So that was a Gethsemane. So that's a garden uh, at the base of the Mount of Olives. And Jesus asked his disciples to stay awake while he prayed. Interesting, God himself comes into the world. God who could be both so self-contained and so absolutely, utterly independent. Of course, he is going to do what God alone can do, but he desperately wants uh, his, his, his team, his peers, his peeps, uh, to pray for him and to pray with him. They're so exhausted that they keep falling asleep, and, and several times he comes back to say, hey, wake up. Please stay awake. At the same time, as he's praying, he sweats drops of blood. Uh, this is a medical condition. I won't go into the medical condition, condition that it creates this scenario. If you've never read The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, I suggest you go and read that. It's a profound uh, analysis of all the details from the, from the perspective of an atheist, uh, frustrated that his wife has now become a follower of Jesus and he wants to debunk the whole thing. Um, and uh, one of the doctors he went to visit, um, Alex Metherell up in Newport Beach, helped debunk him. So Jesus says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Again, he prays. My father, if it, is, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And he prays a third time in a, in a similar manner. Each time laying out his heart, naming and owning what he's feeling. And at the same time, each one is deferring to God. I hope wherever you are in your life, if you're suffering, if you're going through difficult circumstances, you're saying, I'm feeling this, I'm recognizing it, I'm not pretending it, denying it, I'm not scapegoating it, uh, or projecting it on other people. This is what I'm feeling, uh, and I hope you're free to, to share that with people around you, to invite their prayer, their support, their, their wise counsel. But ultimately, what you're saying is, Lord, in, in the midst of this, your will be done. Uh, and so then Judas arrived with Caiaphas's guards and betrayed Jesus with a greeting and a kiss. Lots more detail in this, you'll, you'll see it if you read it. 
But he's taken to Caiaphas's house. Uh, there is a, a, a house in Jerusalem that's been rebuilt. As you know, two times Jerusalem was reduced to rubble, um, uh, 66 uh, AD, and then also in 135 AD. But out of the wreckage and the rubble, uh, and out of maps of the, of the city and, and an archaeological analysis, they've rebuilt this, this palace they think was Caiaphas's home. And, and so you get a feel walking through it. If it wasn't it, it it's, it's what could be a facsimile of it. And you get to see the close proximity of Peter in the courtyard, the place where Jesus would have been uh, uh, put through these questions. And so Caiaphas brings together a number of people, members of the Sanhedrin, uh, the governing body of Jews in Jerusalem under the Roman rule. Uh, they bring forth some false witnesses who, of course, contradict themselves and don't get anywhere. It's an embarrassment. They can't make anything stick because there's nothing to be stuck. Ultimately, Caiaphas says to Jesus, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, Jesus has not said one thing, and in all the events of this night, in front of Caiaphas, in front of Pilate, two times in front of Herod, he never says anything in his own defense. He lets the false accusations and the, and the, and the, uh, the sarcastic remarks uh, just fall to the ground, unanswered. In this case, Caiaphas says, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, you have said so. You'll notice he'll say the same thing to Pilate, who says, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so. Then Jesus says this, But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And this was enough. What the false witnesses couldn't do, Jesus' own testimony, telling the truth about himself, was all they needed. And what they needed was to make the claim of blasphemy. They needed to be able to say, you, have, you deserve to die, for you've dishonored the name of God. Is this not a supreme irony? God incarnate, God in the flesh, God come to save his creation, is accused of dishonoring his own name. Uh, it goes on and on, but then uh, we were told that it was in the courtyard of Caiaphas' house that Peter denied him three times, uh, after which immediately a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. He went outside and wept bitterly. We know the end of the story for Peter is that he's reconciled to Jesus. He's forgiven. Theologically, we could say, so could Judas have been forgiven. But he chose to take his own life. Well, Caiaphas and crew now say, we can't pass a death penalty on Jesus we can condemn him to death, but we have to get the Romans to buy into this and approve of this. So they send Jesus from Caiaphas' home uh, to the place where Pilate is staying. Pilate lives in Caesarea on the coast. But because it's a big event, Passover, and it's a very tense time, all the Roman uh, soldiers from Caesarea are surrounding the city, uh, watching it carefully for any disturbances they would want to quell immediately. Uh, Herod himself is in town. Herod uh, is the son of Herod who was present when Jesus was born, but this Herod rules out of Galilee up in the north, but everybody is in town. And they live in a close proximity to one another in a wealthy part, an elite part of, of the city of Jerusalem. So they're in close proximity, Caiaphas, Pilate, and Herod. And so uh, Pilate comes out and sees that they've brought these Jewish leaders and Caiaphas is with them, so this is very important, this is a big deal, what's up? And they bring him, and they make accusations against him. And for Pilate, it's just a bunch of Jewish gobbledygook. But he has to deal with it. So he says, okay, 
Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate, after hearing uh, uh, the accusations, announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. And then, he, and then they say this. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate, the consummate politician, says, Oh my gosh, this is great. I can offload him to Herod. Because Herod is the ruler of Galilee. This is a very convenient bit of information. The best thing you've said so far. Meanwhile, uh, Pilate's wife has come out and said, I, I've had this dream that's been tormenting me. Uh, and you cannot, you dare not uh, deal with this man. And a Pilate's, you know, who do I listen to? If mama ain't happy. Uh, but mama was right. Uh, he was in the wrong. But on hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now he is taken to Herod. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. Herod, operating out of uh, the city we know as Tiberias up in Galilee, was the reason that when Jesus would heal someone, he would say, don't talk about this. Keep this to yourself. Go share yourself with the priests. Let them know that you've been healed of leprosy or whatever. But, but don't tell people about this. Why? He didn't want Herod to have an excuse to disrupt the ministry in Galilee. So Herod is hearing about Jesus, but Jesus is choosing not to have a confrontation with Herod until now. So he'd been wanting to see him, and from what he'd heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends, but formerly had been absolute loathsome toward one another. They, were, they, had, they had a mutual jealousy and, and a sense of competition between each other that now was conveniently resolved. We stand together for Rome, the Jewish people. Little did they realize they would stand before the, the Lord of the universe in judgment for what they were doing. He said back to Pilate, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, you brought this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And you can imagine what was going through his mind. Herod, sending him back. As you can see, he's done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. A reasonable uh, act because the Romans were nothing if not law-based. They were scrupulous about the law. They were vicious and violent in the way they, had, uh, they administered the law, but they were scrupulous in obeying it. There was no Roman law broken at this point. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! As you know, Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appeals to them again. Now, let me just pause for a moment to say this is a different crowd than the crowd that welcomed him on Palm Sunday. And the only reason I can tell you that is that this was in a part of the city that was sequestered from the masses. 
the masses did not have access to this elite neighborhood in the city because these people wanted to live in an absolute guard-gated community. And they had a living guard gate called the Roman legions. The Praetorian, the Praetorian, the Praetor, that's a title, after which the Praetorian uh, group was called. These are personal bodyguards of, of the Caesar, the emperor. And this over years has grown into a large force in Rome, and now there's a whole contingent uh, adjacent to Herod's palace and where Pilate is staying. And so they are a literal guarded gate to anybody who'd want to come in and disrupt whatever they were doing. So the people who welcomed Jesus were not the people who were accusing Jesus. And if there were people who had been in both places, they were the ones who were accusing him as he entered the city and said, hey, tell your crowd to be quiet. Which Jesus, as you know, said, if they didn't praise me, the stones would cry out in praise because they would recognize their creator. So wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will, I'll have him punished. I'll throw you a bone. We'll, we'll, we'll scourge him. We'll, we'll abuse him. But he's not guilty and deserving of death. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. Why? This is a classic case of Roman CYA. His career depended on pacifying Palestine. Every governor that went to Palestine knew that they were facing a make or break it career uh, move. This was an assignment to test their mettle. This was the most uh, contentious part of the Roman Empire. This was always a problem for the Romans. And so Pilate didn't want this to be a problem for him. And so he released the man who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Now Jesus is sent to the praetorium. He's turned over to the guards. Herod has already put a, a, a robe on him, already mocked him for being a king. It didn't, didn't help that Herod resented a Jesus because of John. But John had called out the family on their immorality and their, their, their heresy. So then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him again and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on them, and they led him away to crucify him. So you can imagine the shape he was in uh, when he started this walk to the cross. And so now we get to Golgotha, Calvary. They mean the same thing. Uh, Golgotha is an Aramaic word that means skull. Calvary is a Latin word that means skull. Calva means skull. And so two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And this was outside the city gates. Uh, the, the challenge if you've been to Jerusalem now is if, if you go to the tomb of the Holy Sepulchre, and that's, that's often said to be the, 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 the place where this took place, it's within the city walls now. Very confusing. And it's been so built up you can't even imagine that it what it would have looked like to fit this description. 
so if you if you have been, if you go to Jerusalem, uh, don't be thrown off by the, the the different footprint in the city. But this was just immediately outside of the walls and within walls of the city where this took place. So now we get to the death of Jesus and his seven last words. The first words he says from the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Does that not make you want to say, well, hold on a second. They do know what they're doing. They do know what they're doing. They've had a lot of time to think about what they're doing. But what is he saying? He could be speaking to both his disciples and to the Romans who are actually carrying out the torture and the crucifixion. Why? We'll talk about this more on Sunday. The disciples did not know what he was doing. How do we know that? They were as shocked as anybody about the resurrection. So Jesus is actually saying what's true. None of you really understand what's going on here. And I would, I would further say, very few people in our culture know what was going on here. Because when you ask them what was going on here, the answers have no link to what actually God was doing. If you ask somebody, why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, so I could go to heaven. Wrong. Uh, so that I could have hope. No. That I could have a wonderful life. No. All those come out of it. The reason that Jesus died on a cross, atoning for our sins, was that God had come to restore his creation and rescue his people. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Anything else is commentary and the implications that come from that. So just keep that in your mind as you read through the, the scripture between now and Easter and as you, go, you come to worship on Easter. As you go to the stations tonight, remember, he, he came to die for you. To save you. To save you for him. To restore you to him. And all the things that come out of that are true. But it starts with him dying for you atoning for your sins, giving himself as a sacrifice for you. That's why we make such a big deal about receiving Christ, believing in Christ, being born again, whatever phraseology you want to use for that, coming into a relationship with Christ. It was for you. You need this. You cannot know him but for this. Your life will make no sense apart from this. So forgiveness was a constant theme for Jesus because he was sinless. Jesus, God incarnate, came into the world to forgive sinners. If you, if, you, if you take that with umbrage or anybody you ever talk to gets offended when you say that, simply rephrase it and say, let me ask you this. Do you believe that when people break the law or do anything really seriously wrong, they deserve to be punished? I, I don't think you'll meet anybody who will not agree that, yeah, well, sure. And then you ask them this question. Have you ever done anything wrong? You didn't have to use the word sin or sinner. You didn't have to use the word hell or judgment. You just ask the question that they could own, and now they've laid it out for you to have a conversation together. How will you resolve that? How will you resolve that? You just said that people deserve to be held accountable for their misbehavior, and that you've misbehaved. How will you resolve that? So that's why Jesus was able to take a cup and give thanks and break some bread and give thanks, saying, drink it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. If all sin is ultimately against holy God, we are accountable to God for our sin. That's why when David writes Psalm 51, he says, I have sinned against you alone, O God. Well, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What about Bathsheba and her hapless husband? <coughs> right. 
They were, they were affected by David's sin, but, but they were also unholy sinners. He offended them. He hurt them. He wounded them. He betrayed them, yes, but he sinned alone against God, ultimately. So if, it, if, it, if that's the case, then it makes sense that Jesus, God incarnate, came into the world to forgive us and be an atoning sacrifice for us. Why? Because he loves us, and he wants us to know his love and flourish and thrive in his love. His love is not sentimental, it is substantive. His love is transformational, not sentimental. Sentimental love is superficial love that caves as soon as there's any kind of conflict or cost. The love of Jesus counted the cost, considered the cost, sweated drops of blood over the cost, and submitted himself to the cost. He wants us to thrive in his love and his righteousness. So Luke tells us that when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Please pray with me. Father, when we knowingly go against your word, please forgive us. When we unknowingly commit a sin, not processing fully what we're doing, please forgive us. When we blame you, doubt you, are angry at you, or turn our backs, please forgive us. When others have wronged us, please give us your strength to forgive them. Your forgiveness knows no bounds, and for that, a simple thank you can never suffice, and we offer ourselves to you. In your name we pray. Amen. He went on to say, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The people stood watching Jesus on the cross. Among them, his mom, and some other faithful women, uh, the Apostle John, many of the disciples uh, weren't there. It was primarily Roman soldiers and some of those people who had yelled, crucify him, who were there. Again, the way he was taken out from that place where he was tried allowed them to bypass the people. Most people would not even uh, realize that this was happening until after it happened. After it was much too late and they realized what had happened. The people stood watching him on the cross. The rulers sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came and mocked him. They offered him white uh, wine vinegar and, and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And they wrote a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. Uh, some of the Jewish authorities were offended by this. They came up to the Romans and said, no, that's not correct. Say he thought or he said he was the king of the Jews, and he said, get out of here. We don't care what you're talking about. We're tired of dealing with you guys. This is what it's going to say. One of the criminals who hung there uh, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said. Since you were under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, saying, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Lord, we just thank you so much for all you've done for us on the cross. Lord, as the crowd accused and the soldiers mock, Lord, you were surrounded by thieves, on, criminals on both sides, and one rejected, but one accepted, and you gave him that victorious promise, Lord. Today, you will be with me in paradise. 
Lord, help that to be the anthem of our heart, the, the promise we hold on to as we're faced in our lives with the choice to reject you or to accept you. Lord, that we would make the choice to accept you. As you went to cross and died for our sins, you, Lord, you took on the burden that our shoulders could not carry, all for us. And we thank you. Amen. Then he said, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. Looking at his mother and looking at John. Uh, this is a very poignant moment, isn't it? Uh, he's been, he's been uh, horribly beaten. Uh, he's been hanging on this cross, designed to not only kill you, but torture you. And there he has the presence of mind to say, uh, Mom, here's your new son. John, my dear brother. Uh, as John would describe himself, the disciple that Jesus loved. Uh, here is your, your mother. Uh, very, very powerful, powerful moment. So, Lord Jesus, uh, this is a poignant moment in a gruesome afternoon. And we thank you uh, for your love and your concern for your mom. Uh, what, what a message uh, this is for her to receive, having heard uh, your birth announced by the angel, having marveled and wondered as you grew up, and now standing and taking in the horror of all this, Lord, I, I, we can only imagine that these were, were powerfully comforting words to her. Lord, we thank you that you have a heart for the widow and the orphan. You have a heart for all who suffer. Lord, you have a heart for all of us, for all of us sufferers, one way or another. All of us feel alone and estranged. And so, Lord, I thank you that you've called us into your family, that we are numbered and named among your people, that we have a home in you. That we have a relationship that nothing and no one can separate with you and with one another in your name. We, we thank you for this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so he said, uh, I am thirsty. Uh, it, it's, he's parched. He's dehydrated. He hasn't had anything to drink uh, since being arrested. He hung on the cross for three hours. And though I won't describe it in detail, crucifixion is a hideous form of execution. Every single detail of it is designed for maximum pain. And it's, a, and it's, and it's designed uh, to create enough pain that you want to relieve yourself of the pain, and in relieving yourself of the pain, you create more pain. So it's horrible, uh, it's, it's abysmal. Uh, it was Constantine who finally said, no more. Uh, he banned and outlawed crucifixion uh, because it was an abomination in uh, his sight. So John tells us that later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Dear Lord Jesus, today, pray as we remember your sacrifice on the cross, we remember that it was a sacrifice that you were fully human upon that cross and felt the pain of every sin, Lord. For that as we go about our days, we would also remember that because you felt that pain on that cross, because you thirsted on that cross, Lord, that we don't have to thirst, that we would seek your love and it would well up within us into a spring of eternal life. And 
I pray that we would seek you and remember you on this day. In Jesus' name. And then he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So about three in the afternoon, uh, ironically, at the time that the perfect lambs were being slaughtered for the Passover, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father God, it's incredible. You have forsaken your son so that you didn't have to forsake me. Lord, we love you. We want to love you more. Please, Lord, help us to be obedient servants and to share you with anybody and everybody, Lord, so that nobody is left behind. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. So then Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And we read that darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Uh, and at that time, the curtain in the temple, a gigantic temple and a gigantic curtain, uh, was torn from the top to the bottom. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Please pray with me. Lord, as we remember this terrible day, I pray that we can truly appreciate what you endured because of and for us. The agony of the injustice, the physical abuse you endured, and the terror of the cross paling in comparison to the horror of what you knew awaited you. Separation from the Father when you took our sins upon you. And yet in spite of this, as you hung dying on the cross, you chose to intercede for our forgiveness, comfort the man being executed beside you, and assure your mother that she would be cared for after your death. And at the last, you did what we should all do, but so often fail to, committed your spirit into your Father's hands. Lord, may we learn from your example that no matter how hopeless and desperate our circumstances, there is no better place than being in our Father's hands. Amen. And finally, the seventh word is this. It is finished. Tetelestai. I love that word. Tetelestai. Throughout his three years of public ministry, Jesus uh, proclaimed and taught and demonstrated the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of heaven. Um, he made many statements regarding what he had come to do. Let me read several of them for you. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have life eternal. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He said, for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And he did. You think about that. The only person to have ever walked the earth who could say in all truthfulness, with all authority, I have done everything I came to do. 
I have absolutely, unequivocally, thoroughly fulfilled my mission. And so on that Friday, Jesus said, Tetelestai, it is finished. And John tells us with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Lord Jesus, your final words on the cross is a truth that is echoed throughout the ages. Jesus paid the price for our sin in full, one time, for all time, fulfilling your purpose. It is finished indeed. There are no words to fully express our deep love and gratitude for this greatest of gifts. I pray, Lord, that those who do not know you will come to you just as they are and believe in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ that they may receive forgiveness and life everlasting. Praise God, hallelujah, amen. Ryan, would you come up and uh, tell us about the stations? So tonight I wanted to, to give us the opportunity to remember Jesus' words in a, in a hands-on way. So we took a few of the final words of Jesus and created some, some prayer stations around them. So in the back corner over here, there are some rocks that talk about forgiveness. And so on one side of the rock, you'll write something that you need to forgive. On the other side, you ask for who you can forgive. Um, in this corner, uh, it talks about the two um, criminals that are on either side of Jesus and that there are some times in our lives when we struggle feeling Jesus. We struggle seeing him. And so it's a, it's a, a little example of, hey, where are you in your life right now? Let's be honest with where am I? And Lord, help me to move towards you. And so it's a, you'll place a pin on um, some uh, board up there. Please don't stick the pins into the wall. Um, but pin them into the wall on, on where are you? Are you with the, the side of, of the criminal who, who just wants Jesus to remember him? Or, or are you a little frustrated right now? And do you, do you need to see Jesus right now? Um, and so I would just ask that you be honest at that station. Uh, in the back corner over here, we, um, we realize that sometimes it's hard to see the Lord. That sometimes we'll go through seasons of our lives when it's not obvious. And so there are some, there are some invisible ink pens back there. And so if you just want to write a time in your life when you did feel him, when you were very aware of his presence, just go ahead and write it on the little poster board. And there are some lights back there that if you want to shine them on the paper, you'll be able to see where everybody else has felt Jesus in their life. Um, and then in the other far back corner, we realize that sometimes we go on a journey in life and we don't always know where it's going, but Jesus always does. And so as you follow the, the maze that's up on the board, um, just say a little prayer as you trace it with your eyes uh, across the other side. We also have communion. Uh, if you'd like to serve yourself communion, there's a self-serve uh, communion station that again has scripture that you can read as you uh, take communion, as well as if you'd like to be served. Um, and then last but not least, there's a, a prayer station here. I'll go ahead and open the door. But if you, if you feel like you just need some prayer tonight, um, there's a few chairs outside. If you just wanna go sit in one of the chairs, someone will come and just pray over you. You don't need to say anything. You don't need to do anything. Just take a seat and someone will come uh, pray over you. Thank you. So we're going to call you back, uh, we'll call your to attention at, at 7.30 to offer a blessing, a benediction, and then you're free to continue if you'd like, uh, if you want to uh, spend time at more stations or just sit quietly here, okay? So please feel free to start wherever you want in the room or to stay where you're seated, but otherwise go and uh, walk through the, the stations and we'll, uh, we'll offer you a benediction in about 10 minutes. Oh, excuse me, on the night that he's betrayed. Uh, Jesus took bread and broke it, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Likewise, he took the cup and having blessed it, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, uh, whatever you do this, in remembrance of me. And so with that solid assurance that Jesus is, is here among us, uh, participate in communion, uh, write, reflect, confess, uh, pray, uh, worship, uh, knowing that he is present to you as you are present to him.
Well, thank you for coming tonight to worship. Uh, thank you for Ryan and Rihanna putting together these stations. Thank you for the worship team leading us. Uh, for those of you who have prayed, uh, what a blessing that is, isn't it? Prayed for. Uh, and so as you reflect on what we're experiencing here tonight, this is the normal Christian life. Uh, soaking in God's word, enjoying his presence, opening our hearts and our minds to him and to one another in his name, uh, being prayed for, being reminded to whom we belong, receiving Holy Communion, being clear uh, about where we are, who we are, and, and assured of who we are in him. Uh, as as uh, I offer you a benediction, if you uh, want to continue worshiping or sitting quietly or being prayed for, feel free. Uh, if, you, if you are leaving, uh, go out the, that back door there that says exit and uh, uh, participate, if you would, uh, in our benevolence fund. This is a time when we receive money for the poor, the poor among us. Uh, we are a congregation that looks wealthy, but there are, there's poor among us. And so the benevolence fund allows us uh, to help people going through very difficult times. Uh, also, uh, as I said, read the, those final chapters of the Gospels. It's worth the time. And read it thoughtfully, carefully, slowly. Stop, pause to pray, to reflect. Uh, this will prepare your heart uh, for Easter. It will also be a fitting ending to this time we know is Lent. A time of deep reflection, reorientation, realignment with God and his purposes for you. This is for you, but it's also for people through you that God wants to reach. And you will be more prepared to be that vessel, that conduit for his love and grace by being uh, aligned with him through his word and his spirit. So we look forward to seeing you at any of the three services uh, this Sunday. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine, but you can experience one day at a time, give you everything you need to walk with him in newness and fullness of life, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.